Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. Do you struggle to eat organ meat? Optimal Carnivore was created by carnivores for carnivores. Long-term listeners of the show will know I'm a huge fan of supplementing a carnivore or ketogenic diet with organs. Organs have bioavailable nutrients that you can't find anywhere else. Um, not everyone finds they have to eat organs on a carnivore or ketogenic diet, but many have found benefits, including myself. And Optimal Carnivore is a great uh, supplement if you are not willing or able to cook organs, you can't stomach them, or if you're traveling um, and it's just something that you can easily take and it's very high quality. Uh, their organ complex is from grass-fed animals in New Zealand. It includes nine different organs. They also have a beef liver product, a brain nourish product, all of which I've tried and used regularly. Um, taking six capsules is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat from the butcher. So super easy. And you can get 10% off your order and other special deals by going to optimalcarnivore.com slash Scott. That's optimalcarnivore.com slash Scott and go there to help support the show and get your organ supplements. Matt Maruka is an expert in photobiology, the science that studies how light affects health, including metabolism, mental health, and sleep. He's the founder of RA Optics, which makes science-backed premium and stylish blue light blocking glasses. Matt has made a massive impact with his appearances on the Ben Greenfield podcast, Luke Story's podcast, and the Weston A. Price Wise Traditions podcast. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and um, I think we'll have a lot to connect on. Longtime listeners of the show know I'm very passionate about sleep, doing everything possible to optimize sleep. Um, and I think light is a massive um, pillar of that. So I'd love to start with just understanding, you know, your background, how you got into this field, how you got interested in, in photobiology. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. So I got interested in this field because when I was younger, I had a variety of different health issues that I had, you know, come across or just was born with almost, you could say, uh, gut issues, allergies, headaches. And it was pretty annoying, to be honest, because I was just a kid and, you know, my friends didn't have the same challenges. Uh, so I just kind of had to accept it and that it was genetic and that I couldn't do anything. And I went to traditional medicine. They prescribed the different, uh, drugs that they normally prescribe. And I didn't see much Im improvement in the symptoms that I was experiencing. So after some time, I just kind of gave up. But then, uh, as I got into high school, I started researching diets and ways we can improve our health using diet specifically because I had started getting really bad breakouts of acne. Uh, you know, all over my skin as is customary or common for many teenagers. But for me, I was not happy because I was worried about my appearance as many people are in high school, right? Well, one of the cool things that I didn't expect was when I was reading about diets, I came across a term called epigenetics. And epigenetics is the science of how certain genes are expressed, turned on or off uh, based on certain environmental inputs. 
And what epigenetics implies is that you could completely change your physiology, your health, uh, your life by modifying your certain factors in your environment and therefore modifying the expression of your genes. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, I had never heard of that, right? And so I became very interested. And I thought that not only did it mean I might be able to heal all those other health issues that I had kind of given up on, but maybe I could become superhuman, you know, at least as a 15 year old, 14 year old, when I started reading about this, I, I didn't have some limit to my creativity, right? Now, when I say superhuman, what does that mean? Maybe growing taller than my normal genetics would have implied, right? Or maybe being healthier and having more energy, right? I didn't know, but I wasn't going to create a limit, right? So it just kind of opened my mind to a possibility that didn't exist. And that was a really, really cool moment. Now I was trying diets as the main way to improve my health because that was what I was reading about. That's what the uh, different experts on the internet were saying is the best way to go to modify your epigenetics. I tried that for some time, saw some results, was very convinced that this was the real deal, but then I sort of started a plateau and I hit sort of a ceiling that felt like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't pass it. And after some time, I actually got pretty I felt pretty hopeless because I thought, well, I'm trying all these really specific healing diets. I'm being really strict and disciplined and I'm not getting you know, better and I still have some symptoms lingering. So what do I do? And I was, I was uh, ended up in kind of a, a funk, uh, a pretty tough point mentally because I was putting all, all my, I was all in on the diet side, right? And, uh, and everybody knows, you know, somebody who's gone that, that route. So anyway, uh, I came across this research about light. It was sort of like the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. And basically what the research implied is that if we are eating a perfect diet, but our light diet, quote unquote, the light we're exposed to in our life isn't optimal or is somehow out of alignment with nature, with our body's natural rhythm, for example, or not the same light as the light that the sun puts off, which is a more full spectrum and beneficial to our body, then that would create disorder in our cells. So much so that you could be eating a perfect diet, our cells wouldn't necessarily be able to utilize that energy properly because the systems that break down and use food, the mitochondria, are actually controlled largely by light. Their functions actually largely governed by light, by our body's circadian rhythm, the cycle of light and dark that controls sleep. And they're also powered, in addition to the timing component, they're actually powered up by red light. Red light has been shown to optimize the function of our cellular engines, the mitochondria, hence why red light therapy has gotten super popular and is covered in scientific data at this time. So I learned about that and it just really blew my mind. And I was, I was really fascinated. And since then, I started studying more and more and more. It's been, I think, six, seven years since that time. And uh, I've almost eight, actually eight, eight years at this point. And I started a company making uh, premium blue light protection eyewear to protect the retina from the deleterious effects of man-made blue light, and especially to protect our body's circadian rhythm and melatonin production from that light. So that was my journey and how I got into light. Really interesting and, and cool to hear how you got into it. So you, you were passionate about finding ways to improve yourself so early in life through your struggles with acne. I think that's really interesting and um, can tell people a lot about your character that you are already seeking answers at this younger age. And um, Thanks, yeah, I was curious. 
Yeah. And uh, I'm curious, like, how have you seen the world of blue light blocking evolve over time? Like, I can remember, you know, 10 years ago, people talking about it, but it was like, buy these crappy construction glasses on Amazon. You're not really sure if they work or if they're actually tested to do what they say they do. Um, and before that, you know, people hadn't even heard of the concept of blue light or blocking blue light. Now, you know, people are writing articles about it. There's a lot of ways people kind of fake, I would, I would posit blocking blue light, like turning your, your phone, your iPhone, having a dimmer to night mode, um, you know, flux on your computer. Some of these things seem like they're not necessarily super effective. A lot of traditional um, eyeglasses offer an option that has blue light blocking, which is probably only blocking a very small fraction of light. Um, how have you seen kind of these threads evolve? I know that was a long question, but curious how you've thought about the evolution. Oh, great. Yeah, I really appreciate you asking. Um, it is, in my opinion, a really great question because uh, actually, I don't think any, anybody's asked that before. I've been on a lot of podcasts, so thank you. So um, the the evolution of blue light blocking is is much uh, you know longer and greater than I've been in the space. Um, but in fact, it's been practiced for several decades now, uh, largely innovated by a researcher who I now actually work with. Um, but he began working with uh, a company in Germany decades ago, and there may even be more before that. But uh, they began creating blue light protection eyewear in Germany for the purposes of you know, helping to regulate the body's circadian rhythm and also for retinal protection uh, at uh, during the day. And then again, the circadian rhythm regulation, blocking blue light. Yeah, so, so I work with a researcher who um, had begun producing blue light protection lenses with a company out of Germany several years back. Uh, I, I believe now it's been about two decades and they were producing blue light protection eyewear for two main purposes. The two main purposes in general that we also produce these lenses for are retinal protection during the day from screens and other sources, fluorescent lights, LEDs, because the, the blue light uncoupled out of balance from near infrared, which is constantly prepped from sunlight, which is the more healing component, which counterbalances the more damaging component of blue light, um, can cause retinal damage again during the day in excess quantities which most LED lights and screens happen to produce, right? So that's the uh, consideration during the day. Now at night, uh, in addition to the potential retinal damage, the main concern is melatonin suppression. So anyway, what we do is produce lenses for both. Now, as far as the evolution, when I first got into the space, it was, as you said, Scott, there were people just recommending this as a beneficial measure for health. However, the only blue light protection eyewear that was really effective were these $10, $15 uh, sort of safety goggle, construction goggle type glasses from Amazon. Some people had actually tested them and saw that they offered some meaningful protection. However, uh, they were very ugly. They're like safety goggles, right? And as a result, most, uh, most people either didn't want to wear them or if they did, they wouldn't feel comfortable wearing them in public, et cetera, right? And so... Uh, I was in high school at the time experimenting with this, learning about this information. And I just thought, geez, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah, there you go. You got them. 
Um, there's got to be a better way to do this. But I didn't expect to be making blue light protection glasses. It was not something that I uh, even ever anticipated or ever had a desire to do, to be honest. Uh, another company came onto the scene called Carbon Shade at one point that was doing a GoGo, Indiegogo, Kickstarter campaign. They had uh, raised some good money and they were like, we're going to make premium blue blocking glasses. But in the end, they were still low quality. Um, they did block a pretty solid spectrum uh, based on others who had tested. At the time, I didn't even have the, you know, $1,500 meter because I was in high school and I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to spend all my money on a light meter at that time. But um, they had been tested for efficacy. But the thing was, the frames were really low quality. They were, and they were really ugly glasses, right? So they didn't really take off. And also, they really weren't as focused on education about why this matters. It was more like we see a niche, we want to build up, you know, make a product, make some money. Um, but the real work is in the, the bringing awareness, right? That's where the transformation is actually happening. So anyway, some other companies came on the scene. Uh, I started doing this because uh, a guy, Luke Story, the lifestylist podcaster, had actually asked me and a friend who went up to one of his events in New York City when I was living in Philly at the time where I grew up. And he asked me and my buddy, where'd you guys get those glasses? And we had actually had them custom made by a company that, that did that with a specific tint that we knew would block the wavelengths of light. But it was a whole process, uh, pretty expensive. You had to buy your own frame, send in the frame get the right lenses, have them tinted. It was a whole process. Uh, and it was it was quite complicated. And it was, there wasn't really an easy, automated, streamlined way to do it. We tried to connect him with that company. And uh, it was such a pain that I ended up uh, saying, you know what, I can do this actually for you. Because we had I had learned about how to do the tinting myself. So my company actually began uh, now about six years ago as a sort of custom tinting service within a niche. Uh, because it was much more complicated to do it through some uh, company that existed, some optical company, than for me to just offer it as a specific service, right? Uh, and it was also complicated for people to do this tinting themselves because they had to go out and buy all the materials and and once, twice, times, maybe, right? So they would actually be losing money uh, or, or breaking, even, let's say, spend it. It wasn't really a good investment, let's say, right, for all this stuff. So. Uh, I offered it and it was a much better, let's say, deal for people. Now, that was, again, a long time ago. We've evolved quite a distance since then. But the the core thing is that at the time, there was nothing that combined premium blue light protection lenses with really high quality frame. And that was what made Roptics different from the beginning. You could actually have the right protection. So basically, as far as other developments in blue light protection that were going on, uh, you know, people, when I started to launch raw optics and offer two types of lenses, one for daylight or daytime retinal protection, uh, pr primarily from screens and artificial light sources. And then uh, in addition, lenses for nighttime for melatonin protection, several other companies basically began to hop on the scene and do the same thing. Um, so we sort of spurred that activity, let's say, in the space. Uh, nobody else was doing it the way we were, we are, and you know, have been before that. So other developments in blue light protection are the, the light bulbs. So there have been some companies that have come onto the scene making low blue light light bulbs. And there are uh, some decent products out there. I'm not personally a huge fan of any of them. Uh, none of them are, I would say, particularly attractive or very high quality. 
So that's something that we focus on is trying to produce things that are extremely high quality. So we're actually developing some premium lighting solutions and light therapy solutions as well. But there have been some really nice uh, developments, at least in spirit, in uh, blue light protection light bulbs, low blue light light bulbs. So we, there is a pretty cool evolution uh, going on in the space, I would say. Got it. Yeah. Fascinating. And one thing I've always wondered, and I guess as a consumer, I've always kind of yearned for is, um, and I understand there are challenges, uh, but some type of way to block blue light on like monitors you have. I know things like flux um, aren't necessarily ideal and they aren't, a lot of people say they don't block the blue light. I'd love to hear your opinion on that. But I think it would be so cool. Obviously, you'd need to customize it for every screen you have. But to be able to have almost like a film you can put on top of your television or on top of your computer screen at night as like a screen protector that blocks the blue light coming through. Is that something you've ever looked into? And I also would love to hear your opinion on some of these apps like Flux and um, I think Iris is the other one. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, actually, I've tested Iris in particular, and I've used Flux as well. And I actually do find them to both be quite effective. So I think I'd say that's pretty good. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they're very easy solutions. Um, so the the what I tell people with our lenses is the daylight lenses are most applicable for people who have to be in an office or at school or uh, working in some kind of store. Uh, or anybody who goes to a hospital regularly, et cetera, because the lighting in those places is pretty, pretty bad. Uh, or somebody who has to be indoors constantly throughout the day, because most indoor lighting in most homes even isn't ideal. So daylight lenses have their uses, but the sunset lenses or nighttime lenses for melatonin protection, I personally use them far more often. I use them every night because there's always artificial lights on at night, no matter where you go, right? The reason I'm saying this is because you don't necessarily even need the blue light protection glasses specifically for screens because you could download a software like Iris. I personally prefer Iris. I turn the blue light protection sort of to its, uh, let's say, highest setting that makes sense for day and for night. And so, uh, yeah, they're, they're actually very effective, the Flux and Iris in general. I, again, I prefer Iris for a variety of reasons. You can actually reduce the brightness of your computer without increasing the flicker of the screen, which is a very big benefit of Iris that Flux does not offer, which is primarily why I'd recommend Iris. As far as films, there is one person out there, one guy who has like sort of a custom business doing that. I, I don't actually recall the name. I was just trying to think of it. If I, if I can find it, I will send it over to you to add in the show notes. But there are people doing that. Uh, again, on our side, our goal is to make it really, let's say, easy, attractive, convenient, and scalable, right? And so uh, I do think the films on screens, I wouldn't put it on a computer. Films on a television could make more sense because as far as modulating the color temperature of the television screen, that's a lot more complicated and there's there are fewer options. I've heard of devices that you can plug into your TV, but uh, I'm not sure about the compatibility. I'm, pr I, I'm pretty certain they're not you know broadly compatible with all television screens and monitors and whatnot. So a physical filter would be an option, but again, it distorts the color so significantly if you want to actually see the color of your screen, which I'm a fan of, right? Like even though the screens, the LEDs are basically blue enriched, there's high, high quantities of blue light, which can be 
pretty detrimental to retinal health and sleep in particular. Um, you know, I'm also uh, in, in favor of people being able to watch a movie and having pretty good color rendering. So we're actually working constantly on improving the color rendering of our daylight lenses in particular. The, the sunset lenses for night, they're basically red. They're red-orange, right? You put them on, there's really no color rendering happening because you're only really seeing orange and red, right? Um, so at night, we don't really want to see color, generally speaking, because it means if you see color, this is what the uh, the scientists we work with says, if you see color, you're seeing generally too much light. Uh, there's more than you need because at night, you know, in nature, there'd either be darkness or firelight, which is almost monochrome, uh, kind of reddish, orangish yellow, uh, like an amber color, right? So that is, is acceptable at night because it doesn't disrupt our circadian rhythm and melatonin production. Now, what I'm, what I'm getting at is we're, you can use our, our yellow daylight lenses as they are as a nighttime blue light protection option that is a little bit more mild than the red sunset lenses. Uh, and we're working constantly on improving the color rendering so that you could, for example, enjoy a soccer game or enjoy a movie in almost full color at night while still having a super significant, like we're talking 80% plus reduction in blue light where, uh, yeah, you're not going to see all the color, but you could still have really strong relative coloring, uh, color rendering and color perception. And that's what our current lenses already do, but we're constantly working on, on optimizing and fine tuning that process. So uh, I have calls with our team and manufacturer practically every week for these types of things. So anyway, um, those are th th that's basically the gist on uh, when it comes to iris, flux, uh, protection filters. If I can find the link, I'll send that to you. Uh, and then, yeah, blue light protection for, you know, television and so on. Got it. Thanks. That's that's really interesting, Matt. And um, another question I was curious about is like blocking light and um, like the changing um changing sunset and and um time zone changes as well um i i this is very pertinent because one it's staying light very late here where i live in new york now and i just got back from a trip to california um where i was trying to keep kind of quasi east east coast hours um does it make sense to try to block natural light if you're planning on going to bed within, say, an hour and a half to two hours, does it make sense to put on blue light blockers or is it not a problem because it's natural light? Um, so if it's still light out and you're planning on going to bed relatively soon, does it still make sense to try to block the blue light if you're just outside, not with any fluorescent lights? That is, uh, once again, I have to commend you, Scott, because these are questions that nobody's ever asked me and they're so... <laughs> So relevant, seriously, they're super relevant for me right now, actually, because just like uh, more or less where you are, I'm in Spain uh, from a latitude perspective, meaning uh, the the hours of light, the length of the day is very comparable in, in New York and, you know, New England in general to northern Spain. Uh, it, it, here, because we're at the far edge of the Central European time zone, which extends all the way, all the way across the Mediterranean as far as uh, Bosnia and uh even poland so it's, it goes it's a very wide probably one of the widest time zones in the world besides china time which is ridiculously wide but anyway um stays light very late like it stays light until 10 10 30 here wow um, how wide the time zone is so of course on the eastern part of the time zone like in poland or croatia it, it would set 
probably an hour and a half earlier and rise an hour, hour and a half earlier, right? So anyway, here it's late. It's very light, very late. And I've actually grappled with that and thought about it myself. Now, from a, a health perspective, retinal pr protection and so on, uh, there's no reason to block the light at night from uh, from the sun because in general, as, I, as I've kind of inferred, we're not really concerned about the sun in general. I'm not based on the research. Uh, from a you know retinal damage perspective. If you look directly at the sun in the middle of the day, yeah, you could burn your retina. You wouldn't want to do that, right? But in general, the sun has ample amounts of the, the healing and balancing near infrared component of light, which uh, benefits skin health, retinal health, cellular health in general, mitochondrial health. And it sort of counteracts and counterbalances these more, these more deleterious effects of, of blue wavelengths, the shorter wavelength blue, as well as ultraviolet, right? Um, the real issue, again, with the artificial lights is that they have more blue and virtually no near-infrared and red light as well. So now when it comes to your question of blocking the light at night, so we're not, we wouldn't be doing it necessarily because the sun is bad. But yeah, if you wanted to stimulate sleep, I actually would personally block uh, some of the lights. So I've been uh, toying with that recently because I'm, I'm getting up uh, pretty early on a regular basis. I want to be up around five or six in the morning. Naturally, I don't want to have to use an alarm. And if it's light till 10, then it's going to be harder to fall asleep. So yeah, I'll, I'll with some frequency, put on my red sunset lenses, even when it's not completely dark out, to try to stimulate the production of melatonin in my brain and in my body as well. And I've actually had very strong results with that in my personal experiments, <clears throat> uh, because when I'm on airplanes, I'll wear my sunset lenses, both to protect from if I have the window open or if the windows are open, to protect from the very high intensities of light coming in through the window. Uh, and because sometimes I want to sleep on the plane. And when I put on the red sunset lenses on a plane, I notice that I knock out very quickly. When I take them off, I all of a sudden get re-energized, right? So that's my own personal experimentation. Uh, but I can give some more science of how we know that works, not just for me, but for other people who actually track this with their sleep tracking rings. So anyway, to, to, to summarize this, this longer answer, uh, yes, I do believe it could be a good idea if you wanted to get to sleep earlier and you're in a place where it stays light very late to put on raw optics, for example, sunset lenses, and uh, to use that to stimulate sleep. Or if you're in your house, you could also, and this is common, you close the blackout blinds or the curtains put on an eye mask and that'll also help. But if you wanted to sort of prepare your brain in advance while you're still out doing things, you might consider putting on a pair of our daylight or in particular for a stronger effect, sunset lenses, maybe one to two hours before bed. So if it's getting dark around 10, you might throw them on around, I would probably throw them on around nine, just even an hour could have a, a positive yeah. impact. Got it. Yeah, that's super interesting. Thanks Thanks for answering. I've, I've wondered about that for a while. Um, and then uh, another question, sorry to bounce all over, but hopefully it. keeping it interesting. Um, another one is, uh, I remember hearing this somewhere, I don't remember where, um, and there may not be strong enough science on it, but I've heard there's a genetic component to how you, um, how blue light affects, affects your melatonin production and affects your sleep. Um, some people really need to block blue light. Otherwise, they won't be able to sleep at all. I'm probably one of those people. Um, and some people, it has le a lot less of an effect. Um, but I understand at the end of the day, you know, we're all humans. We all have a circadian rhythm. Um, so light should be affecting all of us to some extent. But is that something you've 
you've heard of or looked into? Um, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, uh, again, amazing question. So that's actually one where I would have to say I haven't studied it as deeply as I'd like to. And, and uh, thank you for the question, because that's going to stimulate some uh, interesting uh, research on my part. But what I would say, I can't speak uh, to the question, at least uh, on a surface level. Uh, and and you, you nailed it, I would say that we are all humans, we are all mammals, we are all uh, living organisms on Earth that do obviously have a circadian rhythm, which is set by blue light. Right. Um, certain cultures very likely are more adaptable to blue light or to the to the changing seasons than others. Like so, for example, just just uh, speaking from a theoretical level here, uh, but but analyzing real real fact factual information that we have at hand. You know, there are cultures where it's basically twelve hours of day and twelve hours of of light all year. So. I would imagine that these cultures are sort of these people have adapted to not having fluctuation in the light and therefore uh, they are kind of let's say they're sort of their systems are fixed with that expectation right now you could i'm sure disrupt their circadian rhythms with artificial light uh, at night but for example they maybe they would be less sensitive just again in theory here and this could be totally wrong but then somebody who's uh, from Northern Europe or yeah, let's say North uh, Northern European ancestry, where their body was sort of designed, and, and that would include me, where uh, my ancestors had to be able to adjust not only to the daily rhythm, but to the seasonal rhythm, right? So there had to be a little, let's say, greater sensitivity to the changes in light. And you might, you might be able to say, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did find this in, in, in uh, either existing research I'm not familiar with or in future research, but that people from more northerly locations who had to adapt to more seasonal variation could maybe be more sensitive to uh, artificial blue light because their systems had to adapt uh, to the changing light throughout the seasons, right? So that to me might make sense. And I do believe it's possible, but, and, and I am, I have heard uh, of some existing research, but it's not something I've studied deeply. So. I couldn't speak to it. I would just say in general, based on, you know, what we see with our customers, even uh, who are from all sorts of different backgrounds, you might, we, we can estimate that the majority of our customers are being North American from the United States, do have some degree of Northern European uh, ancestry or, or Central European, but some, some form of European ancestry where the seasons fluctuate much more than the tropics. Hence, uh, it could be the case that, you know, that our customers benefit the most because there's a, again, some sort of genetic predisposition to that. But across the board, we see that the people who use our products, in particular, when they're wearing a, an aura ring or a sleep tracking ring or a whoop, they see effects consistently. And for me, that's one thing that was very promising because I started the business based on uh, really just on mechanisms, Scott, and based on the, the information and, and a research of, of different scientists and experts and sort of, let's say, ideas, hypotheses, theories based on existing mechanisms that, well, if our body has a circadian rhythm and it's set by blue light, and in the 90s, they actually discovered a new pigment in the eye called melanopsin, which is specifically sensitive to blue light, which wires not to the visual cortex, but directly to the part of the brain responsible for timekeeping. Well, then it makes sense then 
that if you block that blue light, because we know the blue light is what's stimulating that circuit and that system in the brain and therefore in the whole body, if you block that blue light or, or you modulate it, you'll be able to create an effect in that system. It's just kind of one plus one equals two, right? Logic. And that's what the business and the products were based on. In addition to the uh, subjective and anecdotal experience of hundreds, maybe even thousands of people who had tested, again, the including myself, who had tested the safety goggles, right? But still at the end of the day, uh, there have been some studies on blue light blocking glasses that are pretty convincing. Others that say that they have no effect, although I think they were probably testing the cheap clear lenses that have no effect, right? But anyway, um, it was still mostly based on mechanisms, right? Well, then all of a sudden we did a partnership with Aura, the maker of the Aura Ring uh, last year. And we had so many people offer reviews um, that we, we, you know, voluntarily, they just shared their feedback on using our products and they got our products as a, uh, as a gift in exchange for referring a friend to buy an Aura Ring. So it was something many people just did because it was a free thing for them. If they referred a friend, they got a free pair of optics. They didn't, a lot of people said, I didn't even think it would work. And then their sleep scores increased significantly, a lot of people. So I thought, wow, that is so exciting that actually people with, with measuring devices, tracking their sleep, not just from the first day that they used the glasses, but for years prior, saw significant changes that they hadn't been able to achieve with anything else. To me, that was like the icing on the cake that not only are the mechanisms solid and, and what I thought to myself and continue, continue to think to myself is that's the power of good science. Good science, I think, should be predictive. It should give us information upon which to build ideas and hypotheses that we can go and apply in real life, even if there aren't $100 million randomized control trials um, done because you know not everybody's a pharmaceutical company that's making money hand over fist and can fund that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that's really powerful. And I, I wanted to ask you about the Aura partnership. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I've been using an Aura since, gosh, 2017. Um, and uh, it's really cool. As someone who struggles with insomnia, it's really cool to see the data and then see things that actually work. Um, and to be able to conduct that um, study with Aura is, is really powerful. Um, huge testament to, to your product. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to close out with, with trying to give the listeners some practical tips on light and how they can think about it and how they can improve their sleep. Obviously, uh, I'll, I'll say it for you. Um, folks should definitely check out Aria Optics, Raw Optics. Um, I have a pair. I absolutely love them. I wear them every night. Um, I think they're really fantastic and obviously science-backed. Um, what are some other things people should be thinking about or doing to try to optimize um, how they how they deal with sleep and light. Yeah, let's uh, thank you. So, uh, thank you first of all for your kind words about the products. I'm glad you enjoy them. You know, where I'm a perfectionist, right? Which is a very challenging uh, archetype to follow when you're running a company because nothing's ever perfect. However, it helps because I'm relentless about making our products as amazing as they can be and always better. Um, so that that's what really let's say keeps me up at night and in the same time at the same time interestingly enough it, it puts me to sleep at night because the glasses are effective right but um so the 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 metaphor doesn't exactly work or it works in an interesting way in my case but anyway so there are five main steps uh i have a protocol that i call the light diet we actually have a course people can purchase if they want um called the light diet one uh the light diet course 
And that's on raw If people just search in Google, the light diet course, it'll come up. Uh, however, I am looking to kind of update that. And so I could, I could tell people to make it easy. If you just want to get the core pieces, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not interested in just doing this to make money. I just want to spread the information in the best way possible. People can search the light diet 101 blog. And that's actually, or an introduction, pardon me, an introduction to the light diet is the name of the blog. And uh, that is something I wrote. And that has pretty much all the details I'll share here. Uh, since even writing that, I've refined it and I continue to try to refine it. And rather than, you know, try to put it in a book and then write it and then say, oh, it'll be published in a year. I just share as I go, because I, I think the information is that important. And eventually, yeah, it'll, it'll all be in a book. But, um, you know, for now, we're focused on creating the tools to make it really applicable. So uh, five key steps. Let's see. And I, I'll just run through these in a way that people can get the immediate takeaway action. So the first step is actually taking care of your inner light. And that's something that uh, we didn't touch on too much, but I learned through my experiences, probably the most important factor for health, because I had applied all this information about light and circadian rhythms and sunbathing that I'm about to share in the next four steps and meal timing. And I had felt a lot better than I did. And a lot of my symptoms of my health had improved significantly more than they had with diet alone. But mentally, I still spent a lot of time struggling and stressing and in my head and worrying. And that was taking a, a toll on my health. I would overwork myself and I would be uh, not kind to myself, let's say, in certain ways. And, and, you know, there's always room for growth. I'm by no means perfect in this area. But I learned that if we live by the hormones of stress and we live in survival, and we don't give ourselves time to get to be happy and calm and relaxed and out of survival and into a creative state, then we're just constantly going to be in that state, in that cycle of, of survival. It's like, if you don't learn to get happy, you're just not going to be happy. Or if you don't learn how to get out of survival, you're just going to be in survival. And I spent a long time in that state. So, so cultivating your inner light could be take a meditation every day, uh, following somebody like Dr. Joe Dispenza or Yogananda or some spiritual master or, or, or you know, anyone, Ram Das. Uh, you know, there's there's so many resources out there about how to meditate or how to take care of yourself. Tai Chi, Qi Gong, you name it. It could be paddleboarding, surfing, it could be journaling. Whatever it is, I think it's a really important practice for people to have something like that, especially early in the day, in the early morning hours, even before sunrise. Um, you know, if we're really healthy and we go to sleep around 8 or 9 p.m., the body actually can wake up before sunrise naturally, which I believe is actually very good. That's the time that they would always practice their Tai Chi and Qigong in China and Pranayama in India, because that's the time that's, uh, let's say, the most effective for that based on you know the ancient perspective, right? So that's step one, and I highly encourage people kind of make time for themselves in that way. Two would be optimizing our circadian rhythm with the sunrise and the sunset, so getting out watching morning sunlight for 10 to 15 minutes and evening sunlight for 10 to 15 minutes as close to sunrise and sunset as possible. Now, the cool thing is that I started talking about this 2018. I was following some really amazing experts who have been talking about this since 2005 or 2008, et cetera. Um, and then now you have people like Dr. Andrew Huberman out of Stanford, who I imagine you're familiar with, who has just absolutely blown up the awareness yep. of, of low angle light viewing, as he calls it, for circadian rhythm health, both at sunrise and sunset. And so huge shout out and kudos to doc, Dr. Huberman for his work. Uh, I really appreciate, you know, that he's brought such an awareness to this, especially from his uh, high, high, let's say high position in the academic world, uh, which people really look up to and respect, right? So uh, that's the, the gist of it. Get out and get morning sunlight. And it's, it's actually safe 
uh, to look directly at the sun, but only for the first 10 to 20 minutes after coming above the horizon on a clean horizon. If it's over mountains or a house or trees, forget about it. Just look off to the side. Just let the light hit your eyes and your face and it'll help set the rhythm. 10, 15 minutes is enough, morning and evening. Uh, and if it's cloudy, you can still do the same thing. Totally fine. Uh, and then number three would be actually getting out in sun and sunbathing, especially in the spring and the summer. It's that time of year right now, right in the Northern hemisphere, probably for most people listening to this. So that's a really advantageous thing we can do to actually help charge up our cells, build up our vitamin D level and take advantage of the sun. It's very hard to make generalized recommendations about that. Uh, but what I can say is that people uh, can focus on the mid to late morning and uh, mid to late afternoon, uh, but just mm, being more careful in the midday because there's more ultraviolet light, uh, more potential for, uh, you know, let's say sunburning and damage, uh, damage to the skin uh, as a result of how much stronger the sun is. So people can, you know, have a little bit more flexibility in the mid morning, the mid afternoon, even when it's the summer. But uh, you don't want to sunburn and you don't want to overdo it, obviously. Uh, it's good to build up slowly, like even, you know, on each side of the body, sunbathing, maybe one to two minutes per day on each side and just building up, you know, again, one to two minutes per day from there. Uh, and if you start getting burned or even too pink, then you could pause uh, and kind of let your skin heal and then start back up from where you were before and increase less than, like at, at a lesser rate, let's say. Um, for some people, just to give an idea, like some people will be able to lay out and sunbathe even in the middle of the day for like an hour or more on each side of their body, right? Because they're really tan and they, or even they have mm, like a African or Central American uh, heritage, right? But some people with lighter skin like myself might only be able to tolerate five to 10 minutes or 10 to 15 minutes on each side of the body in the middle of the day. Some people less, right? Um, or even in the, the mid-morning when the sun's not quite as strong as the middle of the day. So it just varies so much. You have to use your intuition. Uh, don't wear a bunch of sunscreen and sunglasses, which kind of upset the body's natural inbuilt protection mechanisms from the sun. And, uh, you know, if your body gets too hot or the light feels too bright, that's the time to get out of the sun. That's our inbuilt protection systems, right? So that would be number three, take advantage of sunbathing, but in moderation. There's, there's evidence, really strong studies and evidence showing that people who avoid the sun completely actually have as, as much as double the risk of death from all diseases, it's called all-cause mortality, in a really large, lifelong Swedish uh, study that was done on a cohort of uh, several hundred Swedish women, they found that the women who actively avoided the sun had nearly double the, the risk of death from all diseases, all-cause mortality in, in the scientific world is the term, than the women who actively sought out the sun. That was a huge shock. I mean, there's, there are several studies like that. Um, with this kind of shocking finding, it's a shock to the, the mainstream medical paradigm, right? Um, let's see, step number four, mitigating and protecting from blue light, artificial blue light. We spoke about how you can do that. You can use optics daylight lenses during the day when you're in an office or at school, sunset lenses at night uh, to help relax naturally, fall asleep easily, sleep more deeply, wake up with more energy, protect your melatonin, your cellular repair, et cetera. We have some of the top athletes in the world, uh, you know, the top goal scorer in, in the world uh, named Erling Haaland, who's a friend of mine who uses our products. All of his teammates at Manchester City, one of the top football clubs in the world, use our products. The number one woman, uh, one of the number one women's soccer players in the world voted as such by, you know, the international governing body of, of football, basically. Um, you know, we have, uh, I just learned Aaron Rodgers uses our glasses every night and loves them the other day. For oh, cool. There. So there's a lot of advantages there. Yeah. So, uh, but the, the reason 
uh, is because they work, right? So like not to toot our own horn too much, but it's just amazing to me that so many people, the highest level performers have discovered this and the mainstream is getting there, let's say, right? So anyway, blue light protection uh, is critical, but even if somebody doesn't buy our products, that's not what it's about. Uh, even they could just start using candles at night in their house instead of all their bright lights. And that would be a great place to start to test out the model and see, does this work for me? But then if you go out and then you're out at a restaurant and you're eating late and you have all the bright lights and you only have candles at your house and you say, well, this doesn't work for me. Well, you were out at a restaurant with bright lights, right? So you have to really apply it properly to see the results. So that would be number four is really uh, mitigating the artificial light by either avoiding it replacing your bulbs with uh, the old school incandescent bulbs, if you can buy them that aren't as, as bad as the LEDs, um, they're actually much better, almost optimal, depending on uh, on certain factors. But anyway, that's that. And then the last step, step five, would be optimizing meal timing to support the circadian rhythm and sleep because our body's metabolism, based on even traditional uh, ancient Indian and Chinese medicine, is most active when the sun's the most active, around the middle of the day that's when it would be ideal to consume the majority of our calories. So around lunchtime, right? Um, it's better to not have our biggest meal at dinner, especially not too late, because then our body isn't necessarily going to burn through that fuel and take advantage of our meal as well, get all the nutrients out. And also we may end up feeling uh, sluggish when we wake up in the morning because the body can neither fully focus on sleep and repair nor fully focus on digestion, right? So that's another consideration when we talk about, uh, you know, meal timing and circadian rhythms, there's a really big connection there. And there's actually studies done. Uh, there's a great researcher who wrote a book called The Circadian Code named uh, Sachin Panda, who studies circadian rhythms and especially meal timing and how important it is to eat when our body's meant to eat during the day and not eat too late at night or even too close to sleep. I say three hours before bed, it's best not to eat. Uh, general recommendations would be dinner or like eat like old people, basically, whose bodies are weaker and they actually kind of have to fall into these rhythms. Otherwise, they'll really notice the effects. Um, so they, eat, you know, dinner in the winter, 4 or 5 p.m. In the summer, maybe 5, 6, maybe 7 at the latest. And that would be a better recommendation. But even then, personally, I would recommend don't have a massive ribeye steak uh, at that time. Maybe have something a bit lighter. Uh, maybe a soup or something that's just not quite as dense for the body to break down. That, and that might be a bit of a shock for some people, but have the heavier food if you want to have it at lunch when your body's going to maximize uh, those the use of those nutrients by being more capable of breaking it apart. And those so those are the those are the five main simple steps that anybody can utilize as as a part of what I would call the light diet to improve uh, their health with light. Yeah, those are fantastic. Um, definitely echo all of those. And I'm going to re-listen to that a few times. Uh, but the last one, especially, it's funny you comment about not having a super huge fatty ribeye steak as your last meal. I fell into that trap for a while when I was first starting the carnivore diet back in 2016, 2017. You know, back then, intermittent fasting, skipping breakfast was all the rage. And I would have, you know, a, a medium-sized lunch and a huge dinner at like 7 p.m., and then try to go to bed at nine. I think a lot of people may still do that in the keto or carnivore communities. And especially with fat and protein, they both digest slowly, which is part of why they work so well and why you can fast. But when you're having a lot of both of them before bed, like it's just not great for your sleep. All your blood is going to go to your stomach and your body is going to be focused on digestion, not on, on letting you sleep. So that's a huge tip. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I appreciate you acknowledging that. I mean, the research yeah. is really strong, probably stronger on meal timing than than most other areas of uh, circadian rhythm research, and even than most other areas of health science. The research mm -hmm. on meal timing has become really, really uh, just evolved, and there's so much more coming yeah. out. And there's a lot of conclusivity that. Uh, you know, limiting our feeding window within a certain window. So I would generally say like eating, you know, breakfast around like, let's say seven. If somebody can eat breakfast seven or eight, but then be done eating by like four, four or five, that's pretty good. That's like a 10 hour window. Some people even skip breakfast and just have maybe a lunch and a light dinner. That could even be better uh, depending on your level of, of activity in the morning and whether you want or need that extra little uh, breakfast, but, uh, you know, a, a doctor, my, my personal doctor actually isn't a traditional Indian medicine doctor. And even that the more ancient perspective is like, if you aren't training in the morning, you don't really need breakfast. In fact, we only really need one meal a day is, is that, is that philosophy, uh, or yeah, a piece of that philosophy. And, um, and, you know, but if, if, if you're going to go train and surf or work out real hard in the morning, yeah, maybe a protein, a bar, or, you know, something proteinous to, to support the body could be beneficial. But, uh, you know, uh, otherwise, um, it's generally better to fast as well over breakfast. Yep. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Matt. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, really, really appreciate you you joining me and sharing all your knowledge and experience and, and research. Um, where can folks find you and follow along? And I'll, of course, have links to everything um, we've discussed today in the show notes as well. Yeah, thanks, Scott. So uh, people can find me on Instagram at the Light Diet, the Light Diet. That's L I G H T Light. Um, that's sort of where I'll share personal information, things I'm learning about, even travels, uh, things that are inspiring me. Uh, people can find the company Raw Optics at raoptics.com. That's raw, like the Egyptian sun god. And people can also find the company on Instagram at raw, so R A underscore optics. Uh, I'm also putting together a, a blog or a vlog, so video blog of some of the stuff I've been doing, some of the just observations of light and nature in my own personal travels. Um, so that should be coming out in the next month or so. So if people want to kind of see more of just what I'm doing and how I'm applying this information in my life, uh, you know, by all means, that could be really cool. And all of that will be shared and announced on uh, the Light Diet Instagram. Anything with the business will be on the Raw Optics Instagram, as well as on, on our email list, which people can join for exclusive information, discounts, uh, et cetera. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving me the opportunity to share all that. Excellent. Thank you so much, Matt. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, Scott, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.